folks welcome back to another episode uh triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephen kerr aka the ginger and we are back in the saddle for another busy busy week here on triple g we're going to review the wild card weekend we're going to talk about the divisional big big divisional weekend approaching and what quarterbacks got the most on the line for this week and we're going to preview the big Sunday night primetime matchup, AFC Championship rematch, Week 5 rematch, the third time these teams have played in a calendar year, the fourth time over the last two seasons, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. we got Cover One podcast host on and uh, host of the film room at Cover One. Some great content on Cover One, so if you don't have the opportunity or haven't had the opportunity to follow along with them, please do so. It's amazing Buffalo Bills content, but we've got Anthony Prohaska joining us, so we're excited about that. Last time we had him on was about a month and a half ago before a big primetime Monday night matchup between the Bills and the uh, the Patriots, before that uh, wind, crazy windstorm cold Monday night in which the Patriots uh, took him down. So great to have Anthony back. I'm excited to talk ball with him. I know uh, last time we chatted, it was real fun, and we're we're excited for tonight. I know uh, it's going to be real, real good. So before we get to that, folks, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and now at YouTube. Give us a subscribe. Give us a like. Make sure you're following along and uh, to our weekly golf picks and our Pick 6 Saturdays with the NFL. We're going to keep those going all the way through to the end of the NFL season, and we're going to start picking up our golf picks all the way through um, the next 45, 46 weeks of the PGA Tour and all of the uh, the tours across the board. So that will release every Thursday morning. And rate, review, and share the podcast, if you will, uh, to a friend or anybody you know who likes golf or football. Um, refer them to this podcast. Hope you enjoy it, and thanks for all the support. But, folks, we might as well get over to it now. Let's get in and bring on Anthony Prohaska to help us preview the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs Sunday night from Arrowhead, 6.30 p.m. in prime time. Let's bring them on. All right, Triple G listeners, let's welcome back. It's a big time for Bills Mafia and a big time for this guy. I know he's real busy. We chatted <laughs> off air. He's got a lot going on. So he's host of the uh, the Cover One podcast and much more from the film room and all the stuff that uh, all the great content that Cover One uh, produces. Anthony Prohaska. Anthony, welcome back, my man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, kind of a long time no see. We chatted leading up to the first Bills Patriots game, heading on Monday night. I'm hoping, I'm hoping things work out better this time, and hopefully we're not like a bad luck curse where every time we get together the Bills lose. Um, so I'm a little nervous for that because I am superstitious. But yeah, I, I appreciate you reaching out, and I had a blast the first time we got together, and I'm excited for now. Awesome, good stuff. Yeah, you know what? I was it was my first question right off the hop. I know the last, like you said, the last time we talked, you were just preparing to go to the Monday night game. Yeah. So I know they had fifty mile an hour winds, and it was absolutely crazy out there. But tell us about your experience. How was it? It was awesome walking in. So I'm not like a huge, huge tailgater. Usually, I'll get there maybe like an hour and a half or 
you know, two at most before. Um, I've got family that owns um, property by the stadium. So it's a really great lot. Like they, they do park in there. Awesome atmosphere, but it was so cold. Like we, we didn't want any parts of it that day. So my wife and I got there maybe like an hour before game time. We got there around like seven ish and yep. parked and walked to the stadium. And it's not a long walk, maybe like 10 minutes tops. And the walk was cool. It was dark. The lights of the stadium were in the background. It's snowing. Like the snow was beautiful. And then like, with the backdrop of the stadium, it was intimidating. It was cool. The atmosphere was awesome. And then <laughs> you're inside the stadium and within like two minutes, your hands are frozen, your feet are frozen and we layered up. Like, so my, my body was okay. I wore sweats and then I had windbreaker pants over them. I had a thermal on a hoodie on a real thick winter coat on. I had a hat, I had double socks, but I didn't go gloves. My hands were cold. And then my feet were still cold, even though I was wearing fleece-lined winter boots and double-socked. And my wife's hands and feet were freezing. It was an awesome experience, though, but the Bills lost, which sucked. And then, yeah, it was by, like, middle of the first quarter, I was numb in my hands and feet and on my face. <laughs> I, I, can, I can say I've been there, and I've done that, and I know how you feel. So It was yeah. rough, man. It, and, you, and you could see, like, the, like – People were just like, yeah, like they'd get up and stand and cheer and then they'd sit back down and you'd be sitting for like 30 seconds. And you'd see people start to like shiver and that cold sets in a little bit. Yeah, it was, uh, it was real that night. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and coming off last Saturday, it was, uh, you know, not as windy, but uh, even more colder than what it was in the stadium on Monday night. But uh, Anthony, I wanted to start off by saying, you know, we could sit here all night and, and talk about, you know, that perfect performance on on Saturday night by the Bills and I I know uh, yourself and Eric and, and the cover one team and have have broken it down pretty good this week and and leading up into the divisional round here but what impressed you the most about Josh Allen last week oh that's a good question I think for me it was his overall decision making I just mm-hmm. thought that was the most impressive impressive part and a lot of it comes from what Brian Dable did with his play calling, his game script, keeping the Patriots defense off balance. Like he made it as easy as possible for Josh, but Josh still executed in the moment. His ability to consistently, like he's done all year, you know, manipulate the pocket and be able to slide step and step up and, you know, move and escape with the idea of keeping his eyes downfield and making plays with his arm. And then knowing when to run knowing when to scramble, knowing when to get down. And then with his arm, knowing when to check it down to the running backs or the flats early to take advantage of the deep drops by the Patriots defense, knowing what coverage looks he was getting and then the pinpoint throws that he was making. So, and that's honestly what's impressed me with Josh Allen the most these last two years when he's really ascended in year three and now in year four, because I think the physical tools and measurables are what gets talked about with him all the time, you know, how big he is, how strong he is, his arm, the arm talent, his legs, his mobility, all that. But his ability between the years and his his mentality and the way he operates, playing the position of quarterback with his head has really impressed me. And the Patriots game was no different. Yeah, and, and you know, even even with his legs now, you find that he's starting to, to set up as he's as he's running and he's scrambling down the field at full speed. He, you know, he's even cerebral there with the way he's using his steps leading into it and he's yes. juking guys. And, you know, we saw what he did to uh, 
I don't know if it was Deontay Busby or I can't remember who. Yes, it was he got he got Busby on one, and then he got Judon on the first drive. Just juke yes. him out of their shoes, made him look foolish, and Busby fell down. I felt bad for him. Yeah, that was that was nasty. And there's been some some Twitter videos circulating around on with you know all different types of audio in the background. Yeah. I, I feel bad for the guy for sure, but yeah, it's not a good look for him. Yeah, no, you're you're bang on. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, we look back and we know that this is the third time now in, in a calendar year and the fourth time in two seasons that, that these two teams are going to match up in the Chiefs and the Bills here in, in this round. Can we, what can we take from that week five matchup? Because I kind of feel, looking back at it, that, that these two teams are, are totally different. Like We know with the, from the Bills side that you know the running game wasn't really going and we've seen that emerge over the last six weeks. Uh, we had Trey White in that week five matchup. Now we don't have him. So can Levi and, and Dane and, and Cam Lewis in this secondary hold up. And then from the Chiefs side, from Chris Jones and, and all the things, Daniel Sorensen and all the things that they have on their end. You know, have you gone back and looked at that week five matchup? And can we take anything from that matchup and kind of put it in stone here as we move to the divisional round? So I definitely went back and looked at that yep. week five matchup. The uh... <laughs> the the first thing I did uh, Sunday night. So once the that Chiefs-Steelers game started to get ugly and I could tell the Chiefs had in the bag in the fourth quarter. Um, so I was like, you know, forget this. I'm going to the office. I'm going to go watch the All-22 from Chiefs-Bills. And the first thing I noticed was, one, how the Bills played defensively against the Chiefs. And I, and I think you're spot on. You know, I said it on – I just recorded my show, Disguise Coverage, uh, tonight – and mm-hmm. one of the big things, you know, I, I had on um, Matt Lane from the KC Sports Network, tremendous okay. team that covers everything Kansas City, but they're immaculate when it comes to the Chiefs. And one of the big things we were talking about was you can't really take much from that week five game. Chris Jones was out, like you mentioned. Cornerback, starting corner, number one corner, Charvarius Ward wasn't active for right. that game for the Chiefs. That's right. Um, Melvin Ingram was on the Steelers. He is now on the Chiefs. He gives them a bookend defensive end option with Frank Clark, which also allows Chris Jones to now kick back on the interior where he's more exactly where he's more disruptive. You also mentioned Sorensen Sorensen since week five against the Buffalo bills is averaging. Oh, I need to pull my notebook and these. There it is. Nick uh, Daniel Sorensen is averaging 31.5 snaps per game since week five against the Bills. Juan Thornhill, their other safety who played phenomenal last year, he's averaging 59.6 snaps per game since week five. He only played 25 snaps against the Bills in week five. This defense has changed on the back end as they've progressed throughout the year with the return of Chris Jones, with the return of Shavarius Ward, the addition of Melvin Ingram, but then how they're playing defense given what Juan Thornhill does. This defense... 72% 72% of the time for the Kansas City Chiefs, their defense, they have five or more defensive backs on the field. They like to go defensive back heavy. They like to give you light boxes. They want to play with these DBs. They need pressure up front generated by just their defensive line. They have it now with Chris Jones. They were blitzing a lot earlier in the year because they weren't getting pressure because of not having Chris Jones and Ingram. And then you add in on the Buffalo side for defense, two pieces, Tredavious White, is now out. Matt Milano didn't play in week didn't five. In exactly. Right. Yep. He's now playing. So that's, you know, one in, one out. But in looking at the tape, a big thing for me, it's my number one thing that I'm watching for in this game is how the Bills defense plays the Chiefs offense. Because what I noticed 
the Bills were so versatile and so multiple in their coverage that first game against Kansas City this year. And, and I knew that from the first time I watched it, but I really focused on it mm-hmm. in watching it again Sunday night. They ran a lot of different coverages, and a lot of those coverages, some form of the functionality had Tredavious White in man coverage, whether it was... I was ask you that. Yeah. Are yep. they going to be able to run the same type of game plan without, without White? I don't think they are. They're going to have okay. to go more zone heavy. They're going to have to. And listen, that's not, that's not a knock against Levi or Dane Jackson, right? Like yep. with, with what the Chiefs have. So in some of those coverages, what the Bills like to do, if they run cover four, they run quarters coverage. And an offense is in a three by one set. So three receivers to one side and one obviously to the other. If Trey is on that single receiver side, They'll run man coverage They'll with Trey. Man. Yep. yep, no matter who it's against. And what you saw several times for the Chiefs is sometimes the single receiver was Travis Kelsey. Sometimes it was Tyreek Hill. And Trey would one-on-one man coverage those guys. And even Trey, who is a top five corner in this league, one of the best, he would struggle at times with Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. So I don't want Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace in those matchups. And yeah. Trey, Trey is quicker than he is fast. Dane Jackson is neither of those things. He's a good zone corner. He's responsible. He's smart. He knows how to leverage space, but he is not a physical monster, whether with strength or with speed. Levi Wallace, very much the same thing. So I would expect to see more zone coverage. They're going to try and protect those corners as much as they can. And honestly, they have, they have the squad to do it. Having two of the best cover linebackers in the NFL and Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. Yes, I know Tremaine Edmonds gets a lot of flack uh, from people, but I think he's better than people give him credit for. So you've got, I love that. Like, I love that you recognize that. Um, and then you've got two all pro safeties on the back end covering over the top and helping out with their ability to disguise coverage and play games. So I think the bills are still going to be versatile and multiple in this attack against the chiefs, but I don't expect them to run a lot of the same coverages holistically like they did in week five, because not having Trey, it, it reduces their scheme versatility. They have, in the defensive backfield. And that goes in, I think, as a whole with that week five matchup. There's so many variables on both sides of the ball. You mentioned a big one too, like the Bills. The Bills have a pivot now with this running game, this physical, powerful running attack with old school power and counter tray and gap runs with pin and poles. Like they have a pivot and they have a different option. So I'm honestly not taking too much from that week five game. I wouldn't take so much one way or the other, especially if you're a Bills fan. I think if you're coming into this game thinking like, well, like we beat them in week five in their own house. We stomped them. We're going to do it again. I'm not saying the Bills can't, but I wouldn't use week five as your barometer or your measuring stick for it because these two teams are completely different than they were in week five. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that with with the Trey thing on going man on on the other side and in those three by one sets, and we even seen a little bit of that in the New England game. Um, I, I think back to the the uh, the first possession out of half where Levi Wallace gets the pick off the Milano tip, and if you look at the top side, I think it was a two by two set on that play, but they were going man up top with the two corners, and then uh, with two corners up top with Hyde over top. And then underneath, they played some variation of a, a zone defense with four guys, and Milano got his hands on it. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that uh, that you mentioned that because that's exactly what I was thinking is, are they going to be able to do these types of things with without Trey, right? And you could get away with it in the New England game, right? That's because, right. you know, no disrespect, but Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers are not Tyreek Hill, Hill, 
and Demarcus Robinson, Nicole Hardman, even Byron Pringle, and they're definitely not Travis Kelsey, right? And even even with that, you know, let, let, let's take, again, it's small and it's a vacuum, but let's look at that Micah Hyde interception. What an amazing pick from Micah Hyde, right? Levi Wallace got burned Yep, super bad. He bit on the pump, he bit on the stutter and go, and he got boat raced by Nelson Aguilar up the field. So... I like it, and that's the thing that we're going to look at, and it's like, oh, my God, what an amazing play by Hyde. Great job, this and that. Lost in that is, okay, <laughs> Levi Wallace just got burned by Nelson Aguilar, and Nelson Aguilar, despite how fast he is, doesn't come close to Nicole Hardman or Tyree Kill. So you look at those little things, and they've had struggles in that moment. What are you going to do when you play against upper echelon competition like the Chiefs? So, yeah, it'll, it'll, it's definitely going to be a factor. I'll stick, I'll stick with the Bills' defense here as, as we're talking about it and how they're going to kind of game plan against this high-powered Chiefs offense. Are you at all? Would you be at all worried about um, Mario Addison not being able to play? I know, you know he was limited in practice today as we record yeah. this on Wednesday. I know, you know the numbers aren't huge in terms of sacks, but the pressure rates have been good all year. He is our leading sack getter at, I believe, seven and a half. Uh-huh. Um, would you be worried if Addison can't step on the field? Or are you comfortable with an A.J. Epinesa thinking, hey, A.J.'s got a little bit more speed. He might be able to chase down Mahomes and cause a little bit more havoc that way if Mahomes does happen to get outside the pocket a little bit or is trying to scramble. Maybe A.J. can chase him down as an older um, Mario might not be able to. Or would you be worried thinking, you know what, he is maybe our best pass rusher, and if we don't have him, we could be in trouble, especially trying to get pressure with only four guys. I am worried. Um, I, I think despite the age and despite Gregor Rousseau and Basham yep. and Epinesa and even Obata, who I like a lot, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are the Bills' two best edge rushers. They are. And then with Ed Oliver, I think Ed Oliver rounds out, those are your top three pass rushers, right? So two of them are Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. And even for Mario's age, one of my favorite plays in that Patriots game Jason was that the running back. Yes. That yes. third and three, yeah. he goes with the fullback dive and then recognizes it's going to be a pitch out. He takes an angle with hustle and effort. He has no business making that play. Yeah. He is a early thirties defensive <laughs> end trying to run down a young, fresh leg to Damian Harris and he beats him to the spot, forces him out of bounds, short of the first down of the Patriots punt, let alone his ability to rush the passer and his intelligence coming off the edge. And in a game where I think the Chiefs are going to try and run the ball a little more than people think, but the Chiefs run uh, RPO at the second highest usage rate in the NFL. They run RPOs on 22%. Of their snap, so they like to put their defensive ends in con or the opposing team's defensive ends in conflict, and the defensive line and linebackers in general. So your rotation is important. You got to keep guys fresh. You got to be able to play matchups and play advantages. And at the very least, it's one less horse in the stable. And I don't like that. And even if it was just like, okay, we're only going to play Mario in pure pass rush situations, that's fine. He's one of our top two edge rushers along with Jerry Hughes. Greg Rousseau is not yet yet ready to take that mantle. Neither I like Epinesa's game. He's not ready yet. Neither is Basham. None of those three guys have the proven production that Addison or Jerry Hughes have. Jerry will be there, but Mario not being there is a definite. It's not like, oh my God, you know, him and Trey White. It's not like it's equal, but it's definitely a concern because again, I think it's either him or Jerry that's our best pass rusher at this point. And not having one of your best pass rushers 
against a Patrick Mahomes-led Kansas City Chiefs team is never a good thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned earlier there about the, the Chiefs defense and trying to get home. I'll flip over to that side of the, the ball or that matchup, the Bills offense against the Chiefs defense. We've seen in, in this game, or not this game, but the AFC Championship game last year, Steve Spagnola, you know, he got aggressive and they really played physical with our receivers. And I know our receivers were hurt with, you know, Diggs having the injury and, and Cole Beasley playing on practically a broken leg. So it's different in that way a little bit because we're a lot deeper and a lot healthier this year. But Mm -hmm. do you see them possibly bringing that game plan into play in terms of really getting, you know, press coverage on the line of scrimmage and dialing up a few more blitzes to try to get after Josh? How do you see that Chiefs game plan? And then if they do do that, how do you see Brian Brian Dayball countering in terms of maybe bunching the receivers to allow a little bit more free free, uh, release off of the line? How do you see him game planning to attack this Chiefs defense? Oh, really good question. Um, I'll start with the Chiefs defense piece first. I think you see blitzes more towards third downs than you do anything else. I think if you see early down blitzes, it's mainly just to throw them in there or maybe like run blitz action that turns into a regular blitz because the Bills end up passing it. Um, But I think you'll see – I think Spagnuolo is tremendously experienced. He's seen it all. He's well-traveled. He's got a great mind. He's had success everywhere he's gone. Um, He's going to bring everything out of his arsenal and his bag in this game. So I expect third down blitzes to be creative, and I expect them to come. Majority of the time for coverage – I expect them to give two high safety looks and do to the Bills what teams did earlier in the year where they went two high looks with zone coverage, um, which is also what teams did to the Chiefs. I'd also expect, to your point, I'd expect some two high man. I'd expect two safeties over the top, man coverage underneath. They want to get physical. Charverius Ward is a physical man corner. Sneed likes to get physical. Tyron Matthew gets physical. That's how they're built to be. I think they're still going to work some zone in. But either way, with that physicality piece, a healthy Stephon Diggs is just as physical as any physical corner in the NFL. He wants that physicality. Like, jam him at the line. He's going to jam you right back and slap the hell out of you. You want to get physical with him at the top of a route? Cool. He's going to chuck you at 8 to 10 yards, and he's going to make you look foolish, and he's going to stop on a dime. And then also with the emergence of Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis – Gabriel Davis has size. So if Ward or Snead or any of their corners want to come up and get physical with Gabriel Davis, that's fine. You can't get physical with Gabriel Davis. So I think the Chiefs will do that, but I expect a, a heavy variety of Steve Spagnuolo. I don't think the Chiefs come out and do any one thing tremendously heavily. Like, I don't think we come away from this game being like, wow, like they played a ton of cover too, or wow, they played a ton of this one thing. Yeah, I think it's going to be varied. It's going to be multiple. Steve Spagnuolo is going to come out and really try and confuse the hell out of this Bills offense. And then I think it gets creative on third down. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I, think, I think one thing too, Anthony, is, is that if they do try to play that physical card again, I think Dayball's kind of realizing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's realized that the use of motion with Sanders and McKenzie specifically <laughs> can really – it, it kind of takes you out of that. You know, if you've got a guy running full speed, you, you can't play press man against that. You've got you've got to back off a little bit, and that gives those guys a little bit more free reign and to use that speed to their advantage, i.e. like Andy Reid does with Tyreek Hill. You, <laughs> you, you stole the words right from me. Like, you, in your <laughs> so question, that. 
no, no, you're great. Like you asking like, oh, what can Dable do to counter that if the Chiefs want to do that? Regardless if the Chiefs come up and get physical, they play press man or press in, in general, I expect to see a lot of motion to continue from mm-hmm. Brian Dable. And exactly to your point, like it's such an easy way to one – Diagna- diagnose, diagnose coverages uh, pre-snap yep. and make things easier for Josh Allen and make things easier for the offensive grouping as a whole to know what's coming. But two, it allows you to gain leverage. It allows you, to your point, to get yourself out of jams and to get yourself out of physical scenarios. It allows you to, um, you know, even in the run game, the counter tray touchdown run from Devin Singletary, like the 20-yarder, Isaiah McKenzie comes in motion and they give it to Singletary McKenzie's motion allows him to get outside, to get on J.C. Jackson, to provide that block on the edge on J.C. Jackson, which allows Devin Singletary to cut around him and get there. So motion does so much in the run game and in the pass game. And, yeah, it's a great way to create leverage, to get yourself out of sticky situations. I would expect that from Brian Dable. He studies the works of the top offenses in the NFL. And you look at teams that are consistently able to, to move the ball and be varied and be multiple. And you think of like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, and these teams use personnel, alignments, and motion yep. all to their advantage. And I expect all three of those things to come from the Bills' offense. I don't think the Bills come out, and, and this, this is going to be part of it too, I don't think they come out with the same attack last year where it was like, well, we're a passing team, we're going to pass the ball. The Bills' run game is very real, and they have a pivot, and they have an identity with that run game now, right? So I expect this is still going to be a Josh Allen-led team. This is still the Josh Allen offense, a passing offense, but I expect to see a significant dose of Devin Singletary and gap runs against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I also expect to see continued doses of Reggie Gilliam and Tommy Doyle as the sixth offensive lineman, heavier personnel sets. They're going to run right at Chris Jones. They're going to run right at the Chiefs. And then they're going to show you looks that scream run and they're going to go play action, and they're going to go for shots, and they're going to try and get Dawson Knox mismatched on some guys for the Chiefs that aren't going to be able to are suited to cover Dawson Knox. They're going to sell play action. So I expect to see a lot of not trickery from like a trick play perspective, but a lot of trickery in terms of formation, personnel, motion, alignment, things that they can do to keep the Chiefs' defense off balance and not allow them to get into a rhythm of attack. Yeah, and I, I you know what? I love that game plan because it's, it also – one, if you can be successful with that, it's going to keep a certain number 15 from the other team on. Off there you the go. It's beautiful. And, and two, it's going to challenge, you know, their physicality to say, you know, have you come to play? Are you ready to play? And then, like you said, it's also challenges to me the second level of that Chiefs defense in terms of, of uh, Nick Bolton, rookie Nick Bolton, Willie mm-hmm. Gay. Yes. And those guys that are very athletic, but they love to come downhill. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're quite, you know, have quite learned how to cover, you know, these hot top-notch tight ends and, and mm-hmm. those types of things uh, at the NFL level yet. So real interesting. Anthony, I got one more question before we let you go here, buddy, because I know we're getting late. No, no um, worries. Give me give me one X factor on both sides of the ball for uh, for the Bills, and you could even, even include special teams as well if, that, if that's uh, a possibility. Special teams is still a worry for me. Um, one of the things that's a loss that was lost in that New England Patriots game was the opening kickoff. McKenzie fumbled the ball as yep. he went down to the ground. Like I, 
I am not confident in Isaiah McKenzie's ball security or decision-making when it comes to returns. I do not feel comfortable. And the fact that Micah Hyde was back there in punt return, um, again, speaks to that. And the fact that he basically freestyled a return that almost turned out for a touchdown, like just speaks to his ability as an athlete. Um, I'm also concerned about Matt Hawk in the punting game. Those are my X factors, but I am concerned from a special team standpoint and against a team like the chiefs, you can't have any slip ups in special teams. You can't give them extra possessions. You can't give them short fields. Hawk and the return game have to be on point X factors. As far as, you know, offense and defense, my X factor for the bills offense, I started to talk about it, the run game, you know, whether you want to focus on the old line or Devin Singletary, I'm going to lump them in together. Having a pivot, for Josh Allen is tremendous. You cannot, I don't care how good your fastball is, you cannot just come out and go fastball, 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 fastball. You need to have something off speed, whether it's a changeup, whether it's a curve, whether it's a slider, some kind of break and pitch, anything. No one comes out and just throws fastball all day. And even if they throw the fastball, you have to be able to locate it in different spots, right? The Bills earlier in this year, They just had a fastball. They didn't have anything off speed. Now they have that off speed piece. And that off speed piece is the run game, specifically this gap run scheme through the first, uh, pull my notes here through the first 15, I'm sorry, 13 weeks, the bills offense was 27% usage rate for gap runs in weeks, 14 through 18, 48% gap run usage, which is the fifth most in the NFL. In the wild card against New England, they ran gap runs 54% of the time, which is an even higher clip, second most in the wild card round. So they have an identity. They have something to hang their hat on. And when you do that, you have the threat of the run. It takes the pressure off Josh Allen. It makes defenses have to account for something else that isn't Josh Allen, which opens things up for Josh Allen, whether it's play action or especially Bills love to run RPO, and we saw it two touchdowns that the Bills had, right? You see the touchdown to Dawson Knox. And you the see one to Davis too, right? Exactly. Yes, yep. sir. You see those second and third level defenders get sucked in by the run action. So whether you're just running a basic play action out of shotgun or you're running an actual RPO, either way, the run action is bringing in those second and third level defenders, and now you've got your receivers behind there open coasting into the end zone and you just need Josh Allen to find a window and make a throw. So that, that run game is an X factor. You have to be balanced to win championships. I don't care how good your fastball is. You got to have a breaking ball. The bills have that now. And to your point, you mentioned it a couple minutes ago. If the bills are running the ball and they're grinding down the field and they're wearing down the clock, it's going to make the defense tired. But to your point, it's also going to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. And that is a recipe for success for the Bills as a whole. And then on defense, my X factor, Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver Love has, it. he's had such a great year, man. Like his tape has been so impressive. I know he doesn't have the raw stats and the sacks that people want to see. But his, at one point, he was top three in terms of quarterback hits on third down. For a raw stat, that's fun, nice little advanced metric, but the tape is really what it is. His hand technique, his get-off, his burst, his ability to be a consistent game wrecker in both the run and the pass. Interior pressure in both the run and especially in the pass is the most detrimental thing to an offense. If you can get pass rush straight up the gut, we saw it last year in the AFC Championship. Chris Jones wrecked the Bills offense almost every single play because that interior pass rush, John Feliciano could not handle him. Chris Jones made life hell for the Bills offense. 
if Ed Oliver can do that, that is a huge piece because somebody, somebody has to step up. With Tredavious White being out, I said it when he went down, that was a huge blow to the Bills' Super Bowl odds. Didn't mean they couldn't win it, but it was a huge blow. But in order to overcome that, everybody in the building has to step up. The coaches, the players, the training staff, everyone. Because Trey is elite, and when you lose an elite player, everybody else has to step up to mitigate that loss. Ed Oliver has been elite for a heavy majority of this year. He's been nasty down the stretch. If he can have an impact on the interior, it changes what Kansas City wants to do. If Kansas City has to commit to double-teaming Ed Oliver, he already sees the fifth-highest double-team rate in the entire league now. If they have to commit to him with the interior of the line, it makes things easier on the outside edge rushers, whoever that may be. And if they get him in one-on-one scenarios and he wins – getting that penetration in the run game and getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes right up the gut, right in his face as you're compressing the pocket, it can damage anything for any QB and any offense. So there's a lot of potential X factors on defense, but Ed is my biggest one. Yeah. And you're, you're bang on because the, you know, the average fan looks at the stat sheet and his Uh numbers aren't going to jump off, off at you, but you, 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 you watch a game, you, and then let alone throw the game film on. Like, I just think back to even off the top of my head here with, with no research in at all. I just think back to that, that uh, Thanksgiving game against new Orleans. And, oh yes. There's, there's three plays alone where Ed Oliver blows up the entire play, but somebody else cleans it up. Like uh-huh. I, you know, the one where he, he he's, he's drifting down the line. He, he blows it up and, and Addison cleans it up on the yes. outside. They were trying to run to the outside. There was another play where Starr ended up cleaning it up. Uh-huh. I can think of countless plays where Harrison Phillips cleaned it up. Um, the play against the Jets where he practically yes. took, <laughs> took the took the handoff in the backfield. Like, he almost sacked Zach Wilson <laughs> on a run. It's yeah. unbelievable, right? And and those are plays where that's all him. He's yes. blowing up the entire play. But when it comes down to the stat sheet and what's getting marked down, he he doesn't show up on the play at all, right? It's almost uh-huh. like a, to me, it's like a golf scorecard. You know, the old saying in golf is. You know, you you don't uh, paint pictures; you write numbers. Uh, and and in this case, you would want a little bit more of the pitcher because, from a numbers perspective, the stats don't jump out at you. But anybody who knows anything is going to know that Ed, Ed Oliver's had a phenomenal year. Yeah, if if you look at the, and that's why I love advanced metrics, right? Because they they tell so much more than the raw stats. I and the raw stats are great, right? I would love if I've got a player who has a ton of interceptions or a ton of sacks or a ton of tackles and all these things. But so many things can be misleading. Like if you look at the sacks, you know, we just take that. How is someone getting their sacks? Is it because guys are being funneled into them or are they winning their matchups? Guys who have tackles, where are they making their tackles? Are they making them eight or nine yards downfield or are they making tackles? There you go. Like where are they making their tackles? Are they making them like pause where it's downfield or or Preston Brown? where it's yep. downfield, or are they making tackles on third and five and they're making the tackle at two yards or three yards and they're getting stops. And then you combine those advanced metrics that add context. And even that in and of itself is so much better than just raw stats and can really give you the perspective. But when you combine that with watching the film, and when I say film, I always mean the all 22. Like, And, and I think it's fine. Not everyone has access to it. So if you're just going to watch broadcast film, that's fine. If you're just rewatching the game, that still helps to rewatch, to get multiple perspectives and views and watch as much as you can. Yep. But when you watch the film, when you watch the tape, the All-22, 
you get a full perspective. You get a bird's eye view from the sideline and the end zone, and it really puts into perspective everything that is being done, who's doing what, why they're doing it. You try and connect those dots, and you can really see, like, because from a broadcast, it might be like, wow, what a great play by Mario Addison, or what a great play by Matt Milano. And then you see the All-22, and you're like, oh, they made that play because of Ed Oliver. And to exactly to your point, those don't show up on the stat sheet. There's no stat for guys that disrupt a play and allow others to succeed. So he's had a great year. Several Bills defenders fall into that category. Tremaine Edmonds is another one for me that falls into that category. And yeah, it, Ed Oliver's been a real pleasure to watch this year over and over again, both in games and on broadcast and then in the film and on tape. He's he's had a great year, and uh, he's definitely going to cash in uh, after his fifth-year option because he's going to be in Buffalo to stay. Yeah, for sure. And and you know what? McDermott and Frazier aren't shy about that point that you just mentioned about, you know, guys like Oliver and Starr being, you know, being dirty, if you will, in terms of opening things up for, for other players. Yes, Anthony, sir. We're going to let you go, buddy. It's uh, it's getting late here. Let our <laughs> listeners know what you got on the slate for uh, for cover one this week. Everything leading up to uh, the big primetime matchup on uh, Sunday night, Sunday evening. Awesome. So you can find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. I host a weekly show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. called The Sky's Coverage. You'll find it live on YouTube at 7 p.m. And then once I'm done live, you'll still obviously find it on YouTube. And then it's available on every podcasting app and platform that you can possibly name or think of. I also co-host the Cover One Film Room live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. We just broke down uh, several of the Bills' offensive drives. Actually, every Bills' offensive drive against the Patriots. <laughs> there was uh, only seven of them. <laughs> that's right. There was only seven. We picked our top two from each drive and broke those down. We have another film room uh, dropping tomorrow, so Thursday night. That'll be dropping at 7.30, 8 o'clock. Then we have a... Uh, cover one playoff extravaganza show on Friday that I will also be on. And then you can always find me as one of the three co-hosts of the cover one post game live immediately following every single bills game. Doesn't matter if it's a one o'clock game, an eight o'clock game, we go live as late as whenever it takes. We, even after that, that first chiefs game in week five, we went live at like 1245, 1am and we were on until like 3am. So Love it. I do, I do a lot. I'm everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. Good stuff. Well, thanks again, buddy. Um, enjoy the game on Sunday night. We'll keep in touch. And uh, yes, thanks sir. again for uh, thanks again for joining me. No, thank you for having me. I uh, I enjoyed my first time. I enjoyed the second. When whenever you need me, I'll make the time. I really enjoy coming on. That was absolutely superb. I enjoyed my time uh, last time when we had Anthony on a month and a half ago, and I just spoke to him off air a little bit and said um, how easy he is to talk ball with and and talk buffalo bills ball and just how the conversation flows and uh it doesn't feel like uh it's forced or i'm waiting for him to finish and and move on to my next question really feel like there's some good banter back and forth and and both of us can provide some good points so um i'll have anthony on anytime and he'll be back on again and i appreciate anthony coming on and joining us i know he's real busy especially on these big weeks these primetime playoff weeks, but uh, I truly mean it. If you have not had the opportunity and you do like deeper, a deeper dive on some of the content uh, for any of your teams, source out these types of, of uh, outlets and, and content providers like cover one. Uh, they're absolutely amazing, amazing from podcasts to film room studies uh, to the X's and O's. Um, these guys know their stuff 
and uh, they're worth the subscribe. They're worth, um, you know, following along with them. I know myself and a friend of a uh, colleague of the show, the old boy, we're talking about um, subscribing and, and paying for their uh, their premier content or premium content. So I mentioned that to Anthony off the air. So real good stuff there. Keep it up, the boys at Cover One. Keep it up, Anthony, and thanks again for coming on. Let's get into the wildcard weekend. I've got five things on my notes I want to cover. i got four quarterbacks that, are, to me, are playing for the most this week, and then we'll dive in and finish up before we send you off the break with the divisional round and what we feel there. But let's recap this wildcard weekend. And we'll start uh, with my first point. And uh, I hate to say I told you so, but uh, I told you so. And it goes all the way back to KT, Kevin Turner. And I asked him on this podcast about two months ago that if Mike McCarthy and his time management and his game situational football management would affect the Dallas Cowboys at some point in time, and it did. I mentioned it on the last podcast last week about clock management and penalties and what happened. And there you are up there, Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott, arguing with the refs. And I don't need to go into the, the quarterback sneak and the, the line of demarcation and, and 14 seconds and 16 seconds or 18 seconds and you know how fast can we, can we do a play like that and, and how much time do we need. They took a risk at 14 seconds. They knew that, but just a lack of preparation. And I get it. In practice, you don't have a ref, so you you you're so used to handing the ball to the center. But you've got to know, and you've got to be buttoned up. That hey, in practice, I'm going to hand it to the center. Game time, I'm going to hand that that ball to the ref, and I'm going to save that split second because you can't put that on a 60 or 65 year old man when the game's on the line, when it's coming down to it, in the heat of the moment's at its greatest. You can't, you, you can't expect them to be perfect. They're going to make the odd mistake. And, hey, he tripped over the center's foot. He fell down for a split second, and that second probably cost the Cowboys an opportunity. Not not the game, and that's the part that, that pisses me off with the Cowboys fans and, and Dak and the players and McCarthy as to that was just for a, a, a 24 or 25-yard Hail Mary with one second to go. That, it's not like you ran the ball into the end zone or you were on the one-yard line and you were going to, as long as you hutted it, you had a QB sneak or a run play to, to try to score. You were going to throw it probably a, by the time you drop back a 30-yard pass into the end zone for a Hail Mary almost. So get off your high horse. Dallas, you messed up. And and this is on a 100% on you. With 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you'd scored seven points. C.D. Lamb caught one pass. Poor performance, poor preparation, poor coaching. The Dallas Cowboys, you deserve to be out. That's what I told you months ago from Kevin Turner to the old boy. I knew this was going to happen. And too bad, so sad. How about them Cowboys no longer gone x Nate. The Raiders, um, tough break. Tough break for, for the Raiders. Um and hey, I, I get it. The the whistle blew on that play, and and you know how does four points look now when it's a you know a twenty six nineteen final, and and the the Raiders got the ball on the ten or just inside the ten on that last second play as as Carr threw a pick. 
but there's so many there's so many situations throughout that game that that could have changed. And I talked to the old boy. We watched the the Bills game together, and and he he said it good. Is that you know, dude does does Zach Taylor and and the Bengals go for it on that fourth and inches? Like it, there's just so many um, decisions and things that could have happened throughout the game. So you can't say, hey, we take four points off. It's twenty two to nineteen. We kicked the field goal. That game should have went to overtime because of a a whistle in the the second quarter that uh, that did or didn't get blown, whether that was from the crowd or not. Um, they've got to find a way. They've got to find a way to to be better. They got to find a way to win that game. Derek Carr's got to find a way not to throw that interception. And he's got to find a way to throw that ball into the fucking end zone. You've got one play. You've got to score. What are you doing throwing the ball to Zay Jones with his back to the end zone on the one-yard line? With two guys right there. That's the that's the wrong read. Scramble, roll out. You got, you've got to find somebody in the end zone. This is the last play. You're out of timeouts. You don't have enough time to, to down it. Just a bad read by Derek Carr in a in a bad moment, and to me, it's it's Derek Carr was on my list of of quarterbacks that have the most to play for in the wild card weekend, and there it is again in the biggest moment of the biggest game. Derek Carr makes a bad decision. Number two off of my list. Number three, the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts, um, not a not quite a playoff ready team. We saw that with both number seven seeds, and and I'm not ready to throw out. Um, the extension of the playoffs and, and to, to 14 teams. Um, I think we're going to see this. I think we're going to see it a lot, but I think there's going to be years where that number seven seed can can cause some damage. Uh, this year with the Eagles and the, the Steelers, um, they didn't. They flat out didn't, and last year was, was much of the same. But you're willing to tell me that if the Chargers don't get in or um, let's just say a Saints team that's fully healthy, that they wouldn't have played a little bit different, or a Vikings team um, with with those types of weapons. So, just the way I think it fell with the matchups, that you know, this extension of the playoffs didn't work out in the in the best uh, state for the NFL this year. But I don't think it's something that we can walk away from and throw it out. I, I do like that only one team does get the buy, really gets teams to play for that number one seed all year long. Um, I find if with the two getting the bye, um, we see more a little bit more resting. So I, I like with the the setup with where it's at. But what I'm going to say about Jalen Hurts is is buyer beware, and I think we heard that from from Howie Roseman today. Not fully sold on Jalen Hurts. Has he earned the opportunity to try to win the starting job again in Philadelphia next year? Darn right he has. Darn right he has. Uh, 3,100 yards thrown. He ran for another, I believe, seven or 800, 4,000 total yards. Um, led the team to the playoffs. Uh, he's earned the, he's earned the opportunity. Does that mean that the Eagles have found their franchise quarterback and shouldn't always try to search out for this offseason to find competition or a better quarterback? Darn right. <clears throat> Darn right they should. So Eagles, just be careful. To me, don't quite go all in on Jalen Hurts yet. Um, I'm just not quite sold on him. Number four, the Arizona Cardinals. I asked Aaron Irvine on this podcast probably three months ago whether this Cardinals team was the same old Cardinals team, and, and he said 
he felt no. And and it's a justifiable answer. When we spoke, I believe they were ten and two. The injuries were different. They still had D Hop in the lineup. Um but it's the same old Cardinals team. Uh Cliff Kingsbury cannot coach when it comes down to the to crunch time. Go back to 2013 to his record at Texas Tech all the way up to, to current. Um the last four, five, six games of any season that this guy coaches is not pretty. It's not good. Uh, Kyler Murray didn't even get off the bus. Uh, I felt bad for him. I felt bad. There was poor coaching. They they wanted to come out and attack down the field, run a lot of RPOs, and, and the Rams' D was playing fast and furious, and they just, whether it was the injury to James Conner, um, they didn't trust the offensive line. I, I'm not sure what it was, but I thought earlier on in that game they could have leaned a little bit more on the running game to try to settle things down, to try to settle Kyler down. Um, he was feeling pressure that wasn't there. He was scrambling out. His decision-making was poor. Um, his footwork was poor, causing poor accuracy. There was a lot of things there that uh, were just not pretty from the Arizona Cardinals, and they need to figure it out. From A.J. Green to J.J. Watt, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, they brought in numerous veterans to try to settle this thing down, and it, it hasn't helped. So uh, to me, Steve Kleiman and this Cardinals front office re- needs to take a long, hard look at themselves, at the roster, at the coaching staff, and really figure out how they can get this thing over the top because they are a, they are a good squad, and they've they've got some real good players and young players from, from Rondell Moore and Isaiah Simmons, a couple on the defensive side, but um, leadership-wise, they just haven't found the right mix to really push things, this things over the top. And number five, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, say good, say goodbye to good Ben. Enjoy the retirement party in the off season. But Mike Tomlin, um, gotta figure it out. Gotta figure out where your franchise quarterback is coming from, and it's not Dwayne Haskins. And it's not Mason Rudolph. Um, this losing, this winning streak, winning season streak is in serious question. If Mike Tomlin thinks he's going to have Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins as a starting quarterback in 2023 in the NFL or 2022 2023 season in the NFL, um, look out. So whether Colbert's there um, leading up to the draft and you can find a quarterback that they like, that they feel has an opportunity to be that. Or whether he's gone by then, I'm not sure, but uh, they've got to figure that out. Real interesting thing I've seen today, uh, Mike Tomlin, the second favorite in terms of odds to become the new head coach with the Las Vegas Raiders. So I don't know where that number come from or if it's inside information there, but real strange. I know Mike Mayock gets let go. Uh, just too many missed draft picks for, for Mayock in, in Vegas, and I think it was – they're trying to reset the culture. Uh, I think Rich Rich Basaccio has earned another year there, and I think I think the players love him. Um, you know, you've seen that uh, the Twitter video there with handwritten letters to the to the players, to all fifty three players on on the squad. So I think it's going to be real real interesting what happens in in Vegas. Do they want another big sexy coach? Yeah, I think it fits the market, but. Um, I think the best coach that's going to lead this this franchise to playoff victories is is the most important thing for them. And I think 
I think it was a good move to let Mayock go. It, it really washes away everything with Gruden and Mayock. They were tied at the hip. Start fresh. If you want to bring back Rich Bisaccia, probably uh, you know wouldn't be shunned upon in the NFL and, and from a player's perspective. But uh, they've got to figure it out fast because this is a, a, a decent roster that needs a little bit of tweak here or there. And they could be... Um, AFC contenders and, and right in the mix with the Bengals and the Bills and the Chiefs and, and all those squads. So, But overall, disappointing wild, wild card weekend, four blowouts, um, exactly what we thought. You know, Bengals were favored, they won and covered. Bills were favored, they won and covered. Bucks were favored, they won and covered. Um, Cowboys were favored, but a lot of the public was on the 49ers. They won. Chiefs were favored, won and covered. Rams were favored, won and covered. So, um, exactly what we thought was going to happen here. And, and we really seen the separation of the true playoff teams and those fringe wildcard playoff teams to now the real contenders. And to me, I think we've got the best eight teams in the NFL in the divisional round. I think the NFL should be proud of that. And I think it's exactly what uh, what they wanted. And I think they, they like all of these matchups. Leading into this uh, divisional round, to me, we're going to, uh, like we did last week, let's talk about the four quarterbacks that got the most to play for. We're going to go from four up to one. Number four, Jimmy G. Why I have Jimmy G on here is is uh, two reasons. Number one, uh, you're playing for, not only, you're playing for your starting job, just like he was last week and, and every week here for the last little while. And, and, you know, I give props to Jimmy G. You know what? He, he almost threw the game away last week, but he's playing with a torn shoulder, playing with a torn thumb, gutting it out because Kyle Shanahan believes that he's the quarterback that gives him the best chance to win right now. He's playing an injured Jimmy Garoppolo over a healthy Trey Lance. That speaks volumes and should speak volumes to, to every NFL fan. But the leash we know is short. The time we know is short. Can he win another game and buy himself an opportunity to stay in San Fran and compete again or win that starting job? And number two, also pressure for if he, if they do want to get rid of him, he's putting an audition out for tons of teams here. The, the Houston Texans, the Miami Dolphins, the Carolina Panthers, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know the list goes on and on, but those are just a few off the top of my head. So, um, Jimmy G's got a lot to play for here in this divisional round. Number three gets his first playoff win. He was on the list last week, but we've got him back again. We talked about the game last week with the Rams and and Sean McVay coming out and getting the running game going and and not having Stafford had to do so much right off the hop, and that's what they did. And it worked, and, and then the defense chipped in, and next thing you know, it was 21 nothing, and, and Stafford only has to throw 17 times, and he, and he gets that, that first playoff victory, and it, it's great to see. This week's a different story. You're up against Tom Brady on the road in Tampa, defending Super Bowl champions. We're going to get into it, but Matthew Stafford is my number three quarterback with the most to play for. Number two, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we're in year five, Mr. Patty Mahomes, and you were in the divisional round against the Buffalo Bills, the team you played for last year. You eliminated out of the AFC Championship game at home. 
and a lot of people are saying MVP, Super Bowl, what does he have to prove? Well, this is a big matchup for, for Patrick Mahomes, and here's why. They lose to this Buffalo Bills squad, and, and that's five years now for Patrick Mahomes in this in the NFL, and it's one Super Bowl. Is it six years? Is it seven years? Is it eight years? Is the window closed in Kansas City? We all know how fast these windows open and close. Um, there's only one franchise in the last 30 years that has really been able to to keep that window open, and, and that's the New England Patriots. You know, you look at a Seattle. We thought Seattle was going to go to the Super Bowl and, and do all these great things, and they're going to take over the Patriots, and they'll be the new the new team. They went to two Super Bowls. They won one, right? The Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay and Jared Goff, and this is going to be the, the new team and the sexy high-flying. They went to one Super Bowl. They didn't win. The Atlanta Falcons, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Tony Gonzalez, and they're gonna they got a two three year window. This is great. They went to one Super Bowl and blew a twenty eight to three lead. And I'm not saying listen, this is this is the with the right to go to four straight AFC Championship games and and create history here for for Patrick Mahomes. So that's another cherry on top. But I'm not even including that in there. I'm talking about the legacy of Patrick Mahomes and what it does mentally for Josh Allen. And let's lump them in because that's my number one, clear-cut number one. And the quarterback that's got the most to play for in this week in the divisional round is J.A. 17, and that's Josh Allen. It's time. It's time. You just got paid big, big bucks. This is why they paid you the big bucks, to win these football games. And and I know, and I'm the first guy to put my hand up and say, hey, we, you know, three playoff wins over the last two years. Divisional round, AFC Championship round. The Bills are a top five franchise in the NFL over the last three seasons, right? They're relevant again since 2014. You know, a top five, six franchise since that time period in the NFL in in regular season wins. You know, they've added some playoff wins here, but it's now time. If you ain't going to do it now, then when are you going to do it? Because he's... 15 is going to be here next year, and Herbert's going to be there, and Lamar Jackson's going to be back again, and Deshaun Watson if he stays in the AFC, and and Joe Burrow will be there, and Mac Jones will be there. So if it ain't now, then when is it? Big week for both those quarterbacks, in my mind, for Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. 1A, 1B for the quarterbacks that got the most to play for here in the divisional round. Let's get into the divisional round. We'll go short and sweet on this uh, because I know we we chatted uh, for a while with Anthony regarding the Bills Chiefs, so we won't need to preview that matchup at all. You've heard enough about that other than the Chiefs are 2.5-point favorites. 54.5 is the uh, the game total, so they're looking at a 30, you know, 29 26 type of matchup in a final, which I could see. Definitely, uh, no doubt about that, but uh, big primetime matchup there on Sunday night. But let's get into the first one Saturday, 4 30 start, the Tennessee Titans at the Bengals. Uh, Tennessee now three and a half point favorites, 47 is the total. So you're looking at, you know, 25 21 type of game. Here's my keys. And it, it to me, 
very similar to the the Bengals Raiders game. If the Bengals can get out early and really start to pressure this weaker Titans secondary, look out. If they can get an early lead, I think that will force Tennessee out of their their game plan and what they want to do, and that's getting King Henry back, or if Henry can't play that running game going uh, with Freeman or whoever's going to be back there, uh, McNichols, and put the, the game in Ryan Tannehill's hands and, and really try to get after him with Hendrickson, who sounds like he's going to be playing Sam Hubbard, and, and this Bengals pass rush. Tennessee's got to slow down that pass rush, get the running game going, and muck up this game a little bit, and that's that's how they're going to win it. Um, I'm, I'm torn either way. Uh, originally, I liked the Bengals, but it's hard to argue the track record of the, the bye, coming off the bye, being at home. Traditionally, they, they don't always cover, but traditionally those teams win. And to me, this is a matter of who can impose their their game script and pose the way that they want to play? Who can dictate the way they want to play in this game? Um, because to me, both of these teams, these teams, to me, they're they're elite. They're in the top eight, but they're they're probably I would say six. If you were to rank them, I would say Tennessee probably five. The Bengals probably six or seven in terms of the teams remaining left in the playoffs. Um, I'd have the 49ers at eight, then probably the Bengals at, at seven, um, Rams at six, Titans at five type of thing. And then you got the Bucks, Packers, Chiefs, and Bills. Bills at four, Bucks at three, Packers at two, Chiefs at one. Or, you know, it can be interchangeable. But um, these teams aren't like Green Bay and Tampa and Kansas City that can win in multiple ways. To me, both of these teams have to have the correct game script to go ahead and win football games at this type of level. Um, so I think that's going to be the key for that one. Um, Big-time matchup I'm looking forward to. This is the one I want, and that's Saturday night. Um, 49ers and Packers. I talked about the historic Madden and and how that 49ers-Cowboys game threw me back, and we're back at it again. Saturday night, primetime. Um Packers are six-point favorites. 47 is the game total. Uh, you know, your 26-20, 26-21 type of game script there. To me, the 49ers, how do you slow down Devontae Adams? I think that's the key. I, I just don't think they have anybody that can do that. And for the Packers, is can you slow down the, the, the 49ers run game? And Debo Samuel. I think this matchup more than, than any in in this round, comes down to specific players and how important they are and what can these teams do to slow down these game-changing players. Um, and I think uh, Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, George Kittle, you know, w- what superstars show up to play um, is going to be very, very crucial. And I think also another key is, is watch the injury report. Is Bosa going to play? Because if Bosa can play, that really spruces up that 49er pass rush. Maybe they can get after Rodgers and force a, mis- a mistake or two. If not, um, that may open up some more time for Rodgers and look out at that point. It could get uh, could get ugly for the 49ers. So, so real interesting there. And the last one, before we send you off the break here, uh, Bucks 49ers, uh, or sorry, Bucks 49ers, Bucks Rams, uh, 3 o'clock start on Sunday. 
48 and a half is the game total. Bucks are favored by three. So you're looking at a 26, 23 type of game. And this is a real interesting one. Uh, I wondered how the Bucks were going to be able to move the ball against even a, the team, a team like Philly. And, and I ha- still have those questions. And, and after watching the game, you know, Mike Evans steps up nine for 117 and a tutty against, uh, you know, in the wild card round. But in now stroll, strolls Jalen Ramsey. And as as close to a lockdown corner as you can have lockdown in the NFL. And they're going to put him out right on Evans all game long. I think he's going to travel wherever Mike Evans is in, in the slot, outside, X, Y. It doesn't matter where he'll be there. So to me now, is it playoff Lenny? Is it Gronkowski? Is it Cameron Brait? Is it Giovanni Bernard in the backfield? What do the Bucks do to move the ball against this Rams defense? And I think it what I keep coming back to is Fournette. They've got to get back to a little bit of ground and pound 2020 Bucks playoff football if they're going to win this football game. If they drop back 40, 45, 50 times against that that D-line because it's starting to heat up. Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, they are heating up. You saw what they did to Kyler Murray. They got after him. They got after him. And, and Tom, Tom can't move like Kyler can. So if they can force the Bucks into some third and longs, they've got Ramsey locked up on Evans. Um, could be a long, long afternoon for Tom Brady. And, and the Rams are a tough, tough matchup team with that defense when you can match up specific players. And that's what the playoffs is all about. It's about matchups. And, and I just – Evans is going to get his a little bit, but I can't see him going nine for – you know, 10 for 120 and a touchdown again. Not against Ramsey. So who, what playmaker can make plays? And I think Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, and these tight ends have really got to step up because I don't think um, Cyril or Scotty Miller or Tyler Johnson, I, I just don't think any of those guys are the answers. I think it's got to come from the tight end spot and Brayton Gronk, and I think it's got to come from the running back spot if it ain't coming from Mike Evans. And uh, it, it, the Bucks are in tough. The Bucks to me, are, are in tough. From the Rams' side against that Bucks defense, we know that Sean McVay wants to get the running game going, and it's vital to that offense, and it's also vital to Matthew Stafford. And that's who this game comes down to, and that's why he was number three on my most uh, important quarterbacks this week, or quarterbacks I got the most to play for, because this game's going to come down to him. Todd Bowles is going to make this game come down. He's going to do everything in his power to shut down Cam Akers, Sony Michelle, the two-headed running monster that's come out of Los Angeles, an improved offensive line. And to me, you put the ball in the hands of Matthew Stafford. You've got some great playmakers on the back end for the Bucks. that, hey, they, yes, they can get beat. They're a little bit of inexperience and young, but they can make big plays. And you've got some good pass rushers. Shaq Barrett. Vita Vea pushing the middle, and Dominic and Sue, Levante David, and company, and more, right? So, um, I think I think that's going to be the crucial part: is can Stafford play mistake-free football? If he starts to turn the ball over, you give Brady some more opportunities. I can't I can't see the Rams winning this game, but if Stafford can play mistake-free. I think the Rams got a shot at this upset. I, I truly do because I think their defense matches up very well against the Buccaneers. Folks, 
that's my thoughts on the divisional divisional round. Hope you enjoy the matchups. Hope we see some better football than we saw in the wild card weekend. We're going to send you off the break. When we get back, we're going to talk the world of golf. Make sure you're following us along all week long, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're going to do a Twitter Spaces or Instagram Live this weekend for divisional round. I haven't quite decided whether Saturday or Sunday, depending on timing. So keep your eyes open for that, and we'll catch you on the flip side. All right, folks, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. We're going to flip over now from the world of football and the NFL into the world of golf. And we knew this time was coming. End of January, and business is about to pick up in the world of golf, and it's getting real busy, real fast. We've got everything uh, happening right now. Actually, just finished today, Wednesday, January 19th. Ashbadia won on the Corn Ferry Tour, 19 years old. Uh, we've seen this kid out on the PGA Tour uh, doing great things, and he's going to continue to do great things, and, and it'll get real scary for this kid if he learns how to win out on that Corn Ferry Tour and comes back to the PGA Tour at 20, 21, 22 years old. You can add him to the list of some young guns um, that have a lot of firepower out there on the PGA Tour. And we're going to have some big golf guests coming up. But uh, as we round out the football season here with a, a little under a month to go, I cannot believe I just said that. Um, we're going to lean heavy on our football guests for the next month here. And then as we get into the West Coast swing and the majors in uh, in golf, in all of the uh, the golfing tours out there, LPGA Champions Tour and PGA Tour, we'll start to lean on some of our uh, our golf guests as we get into the uh, the summertime. But let's kick it off here. And let's kick it off with the old boys. We've got the Champions Tour starting back off. Bernard Longer, fresh off Player of the Year awards. And they are in Hawaii for a 42-person event at the Mitsubishi Electric Championship. Um, so that will be their kickoff event. And David Duvall is going to make his Champions Tour debut this week at 50 years old. Sounds like he's going to play um, almost a full schedule here of about uh, 20 events is what he mentioned. So it'll be real interesting to see, but it's, it, you, you go up and down the field this week. It's the who's who of, uh, of um, the champions tour from, from Furyk to, to VJ Singh to Bernard Longer. Uh, there's a couple names missing out there, but Tommy Lehman's out there. Tom Watson's still there. So uh, Doug Barron's still there. So a bunch of, of, of good names that'll be out at the Mitsubishi electric good event. Very similar to the PGA Tour kicking it off. Um, nice, relaxed event. Smaller field for them. So uh, I'm sure they'll have a great time with that event out there in Hawaii. To the LPGA Tour. And uh, another smaller event. 29 ladies. This is the Tournament of Champions for the LPGA Tour. So kicking it off much like the Centuries, Century did on the PGA Tour with their Tournament of Champions. The ladies are kicking it off with their tournament champions. Had to have had a, a win on the LPGA Tour in the last two years. So that uh, 
We'll have 29 ladies at the event at Lake Nona. You'll recognize that Florida golf course, private club. I believe Tiger was a member there for a few years. And um, it's a pro-am event, so some big names um, that'll be on property throughout the course of the week. It's a four-day event running from Thursday all the way through till Sunday. Par 72, tough golf course, tons of water, tons of hazards in play. So this is, I think this this golf course is really going to challenge um, these ladies. From what we're hearing, um, the golf course is absolutely in pristine state shape, as always, down at Lake Nona. Uh, par 72 6600 yards so the greens are typically firm and fast and they'll be pure so the ladies will be able to roll the rock and and we'll see what uh what the scoring's like at that event but it's the who's who of uh of the lpj tour who's there uh patty tavitana kits there sophia popoff uh the jatanagon uh sisters are there yuka sasso inby park michelle wee west uh the quarter uh, twins are there brooke henderson's there lydia Coe's there and and many more so um great event for the ladies to kick off love how it's a pro-am which is real cool i think uh the century should do that it might be a bit tougher getting some of these amateurs out to hawaii in terms of uh you know organizing that and getting them on flights especially with covid and all that stuff but a uh, real cool touch there by the lpga tour and um some great news for the lpga tour in terms of prize money uh, the U.S. Open uh, is on par. Announced that, uh, I believe, a couple weeks ago. I don't think we've talked about it on this podcast, but it's about time. We'll have Beth on, Beth Ann Nichols um, up over the course of the summer to uh, to come on and, and give us some uh, some LPGA Tour breakdown and, and dive deeper into it. But uh, great to see for the ladies out there, and, and, and it's about time that that happens, and I think we should get it across the board. But uh, we're starting to see... With this emergence of golf due to COVID and, and all the sponsorship money, that it's it's not just the PGA Tour that that's you know really honing in on this. It's it's some of these other tours that are really starting to see these purses and the prize money beef up, which is great. And and I hope it continues to trickle all the way down throughout the professional ranks because uh, I've talked about it before in terms of sponsorship on some of these lower end tours, Mackenzie Tour, local tours. Uh, we need to see more of it, uh, more ladies and men, seniors, uh, whoever, juniors, need to have an opportunity to play this great game for a living and shouldn't have to grind over the daily worries of, of making a four-footer and will it be able to put food on the table or you know, will I be able to buy a shirt or not buy a shirt if I, I don't make a putt or I hit a poor drive into, into the water, whatever it may be, um, because it's just going to make the game better. Uh, it'll make our athletes better. It'll make our golfers better, and uh, it's it's important across the board. So great to see that to the DP World Tour making its debut. And I I told you it's busy. It's a busy time in the world of golf, and I wasn't joking around. All of these tours are kicking off. We've had a couple events now in the PGA Tour, but uh, Corn Ferry Tour started up, Champions Tour started up, LPGA Tour starting up, and so is the DP World Tour. They are in Abu Dhabi. Um, with a great field, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Rory McIlroy, um, bunch of Englishmen, Poulter, Westwood, Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood, Hatton, Lowry, even Colin Montgomery and uh, Podrick Harrington, a couple of uh, senior boys are over there as well. So you're going to continue to see uh, some of these American names make more and more trips over here to uh, to uh, some of these Emirates states and, and different European tour events as the, the prize money 
speaks money talks and and uh it's gonna bring some of these names over there so and we and we know we've talked about some of the upstart tours uh that have been uh you know talked about getting going throughout the course of the fall and the winter here so Morikawa is over there again so uh, you know another big name Victor Hovland so and and it's not a, a chump change event here uh this week on on the uh the PGA tour but uh big event good field over there for the DP World Tour and uh should be a good start for them good golf course for them to uh to kick off so busy time and on to the uh the PGA Tour we're a couple weeks in now. Hideki Matsuyama wins the Sony Open. He is your Sony Open winner. That's the eighth uh, time he's won on the PGA Tour. And that is a huge win for them. Uh, him. Ties him for the most wins for an Asian-born golfer, which is a great stat, tied with uh, KJ Choi for that, uh, for that particular stat. And um, we are at the American Express, um, the old Bob Hope. And the boys have t- torn it up through two weeks here. You know, Cameron Smith wins at the century with minus 34. We've seen uh, Hideki Matsuyama win with minus 23 in a playoff with uh, with Russell Henley. What a shot, by the way, he hits in the playoff from 270 yards out. Three wood to about two and a half, three feet. And he makes it for eagle um, and finishes the... Uh, as the, the the winner in, in in the playoff against Henley. But minus 23, minus uh, 34, respectively, over the last couple of weeks. And we're going to see much of the same here at the American Express. The last three winners, minus 26, minus 26, and minus 23 from 2019 to 2021. And the golf courses uh, haven't changed. They're on La Quinta, uh, PGA West, uh, TPC Stadium course, and then the Nicholas Golf Course at PGA West uh, facility as well on the uh, the tournament golf course. All these three golf courses, uh, they're going to split up across the board. It's a Pro-Am event as well. And some big names that will be down there. All three are par 72s, hovering between just over 7,000 to 71 and change on all three golf courses. And they're going to they're gonna rip the place up and tear it apart. So it will be uh, an interesting week on the PGA Tour as well. And an update for next week as we swing over to the West Coast Swing on the PGA Tour to the Farmers Insurance Open. It has changed its uh, schedule. It will be a Wednesday through Saturday event. Um, This is traditionally a CBS event. And um, they don't want to go up against the NFL. And they not Sorry, I should reword that. It's not that they don't want to go up against the NFL. The NFL does have... Uh, or CBS, sorry, does have um, broadcasting requirements through Championship Weekend, and because of the extra season or the extra week in the NFL season, it has actually run over now into the Farmers Insurance, which is uh, CBS's opening event on the 2022 PGA Tour. So, um, in terms of the final round, they didn't want to go up against uh, that broadcast requirement, so they flipped over now. And that will the final rounds for the farmer insurance will be on Friday and Saturday, leaving Sunday to championship weekend in the NFL um, for the AFC and NFC championship games. Typically around a three o'clock and six forty start, I believe, for those two uh those two events. So um that's your side note for the farmers insurance next week after the American Express. But without further ado, let's close out our talk about golf here on this week's podcast 
And let's get into our picks here for the American Express. I've got three of our main picks as per usual, and I got a couple extra long shots for you um, throughout the course of my research. Like the couple names, like the odds. If you're going to uh, throw down a few shekels this week on the PJ Tour, this is the week because uh, there's a couple big guns that are at uh, pretty low odds to win the golf tournament, and you can get some real good value, and, and you'll hear the numbers that uh, that we throw out here. But uh, there's some real good value out there for some good players that could be in contention, could get you a top five each way bet as well. So let's start from the bottom now. We hear honorable mentions, a couple of them. My first one at 140 to 1, hey, worth a buck or two for sure, Uh T-34 in 2019, T-10 in 2020, T-21 in 2021 in this event. And that's Andrew Putnam at 140 to 1. K.H. Lee at 125 to 1. Listen, he was uh, T-21 last year and T-32 in 2020. So he has played decent on this golf course, 125 to 1. I think that's worth a buck or two or a shekel or two on both of those guys for your extreme long shot Um heavy value picks there but to our traditional uh long shot we're gonna go with 100 to 1 listen he finished last week at the sony open with uh rounds on saturday sunday at 64 65 in 2019 he was t18 2020 he was t37 and 2021 last year in this event he was t16 so the two out of the last three years he's been inside the top 20 at 100 to 1 coming off a good solid finish last week i'm taking russell knox I think it's a, a great pick. He can make some birdies. I like Russell Knox here to play well. Um, my rock steady pick of the week, traditionally you guys know, that you guys and girls know how I like to do my research and, and talk about you know the last three, four, five years on these golf courses and, and how these players have played. This one's just a straight gut feeling and a guy who's been, since the middle of last year, been real solid on the PGA Tour. He has one victory and a boatload of top 10s. I'm taking the Irishman. I'm taking Seamus Power, forty to one. Listen, he was T three at Century, uh, or sorry, a T three last week at Sony, T fifteen at the Century, going all the way back to T four at the RSM, winning before that. Um, he's been real solid on the PGA Tour. He's got off to a solid start this year. I think he keeps it going at forty to one. Sure, I'll take Seamus Power, not a problem at all. And then my big gun, I'm gonna stay away from from the from the Cantleys and the Roms and the and the other big guns here. Um, twenty two to one. He's got a great track record at this event. T twelve last year, T ten in two thousand twenty, and T twelve in two thousand nineteen. So even if he doesn't get you the victory at twenty two to one, he could come across at you know seven eight nine to one on the each way. I'm taking Sunjay M as my final pick of the week shout out to dutch who threw a late pick in last week uh kevin kisner uh t3 at the sony open so dutch got a cash there so well done dutch um our picks uh cory connor's 11th had a tough saturday start um and that's what cost him a, a top five finish and charles howell as well uh did not have a good weekend um so he kind of finished t36 and fizzled out after a couple good days to, to start out but that is our quick synopsis in the world of golf. Lots happening now. And like I said, over the next month, we'll start to wind down football and wind up the golf as it starts to really kick off on all the tours across the world. So we're really excited about that. Folks, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Most importantly, 
I'm asking you for two things. Number one, give us a subscription on our YouTube page. We're going to get more videos up and going as I learn and transfer over from our uh, recording software. Still working on that. And number two, rate and review our podcast. Give us a five-star review. Really appreciate it. And look out for some upcoming contests as we move into the golf season. Not too far away, only a couple months now. I signed up for uh, for a local golf league that I'm going to be joining as well. So excited about that this week and excited for this snow to leave us and we get more into the golf and weather and excited about finishing off the 2022 NFL season. Enjoy the divisional round games, some big games this week. Enjoy lots of golf happening over the weekend. Men's, ladies, seniors, all of it across the board. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you.